Welcome back, Grizz Nation, to another edition of Revisionist Grizzly, a podcast series under the Core 4 podcast on the GBB Podcast Network. You can find every episode of the Core 4 GBB Live and 3D Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation. You can find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SB and Grizzlies. Still pumping out content, even though we are almost two months in without any live sports. So I'm Parker Fleming, and with me today is our site manager, Joe Molinax. Joe, how's it going? I tell you what, Parker, it's been a long week. Uh, if I'm being honest, it's it's uh, not not been an easy week, and and I'm curious to your take on this because I I I go back and forth. I I feel bad that I feel bad for myself because I know there's so many people obviously that are going through so many difficult things, uh, but I still can't help but feel like it's it's tough for me too, and you know that's that's very selfish thinking I think, but at the same time. Um, it still crops up and this is a week that's a good example of that, whether it's trying to work from home with my two kids at home or, you know, all different kinds of things. And again, I realize there's lots of folks in a tougher spot than me, but this, this quarantining thing is for the birds and I'm looking very forward to not doing it anymore, uh, at some point soon, hopefully. No, I feel the same way. I mean, I miss the old routine I had set up, you know, where I go to work and then either in the morning before work or in the afternoon after work, I go to the gym and then I go hang out with my girlfriend and or my friends after work and go out to either a restaurant or a bar and enjoy nice beverage. Granted, kind of the luxurious life's not necessarily a necessity, but still it's something that after all this, you don't really take for granted anymore. Well, that's exactly right. And I think that's going to be the biggest takeaway, or at least I hope it's the biggest takeaway, is we we don't take for granted those things any longer. I, I do think that matters a good bit. So uh, I think you hit the nail on the head there. And somebody else that we need to not take for granted anymore is the subject of this week's podcast or this episode of Revisionist Grizzly. So I'm excited to talk about the uh, the gentleman whose existence I willed into being uh, through the mighty power of grizzlybearblues.com. Oh, yeah. And to be honest, like that was when I first like on Twitter, like found out who Joe Mullinax was, was that Chandler Parsons is the bride to be after being the bridesmaid for so long. That's when I finally was introduced to Joe Mullinax. And at that time is when I started writing over at Bill Street Bears. And one of the posts I wrote was one of those slideshows like, five free agents who would fit perfectly next to Mike Conley because the big talk was Mike Conley needing help. And my number one was Chandler Parsons just because I loved him in Dallas. Like he's a big wing that can shoot threes and play make and play positions three and four. He was awesome. And so obviously when they had a realistic shot to get him and then they finally got him, I was stoked. And so I'm going to just go ahead and hop right in. Everyone knows the deal. Chandler Parsons signed a four-year, $94 million contract in the summer of 2016. It did not go according to plan at all. 
honestly, if you ran this simulation 10 times, this was probably by far the worst outcome at all. Coming into Memphis, Chandler Parsons was, for his career, a 14-5-3 guy on 47% shooting from the field and 38% from three on about four and a half attempts per game. I remember his last season in Dallas, I had seen two games of him with one of my buddies from college that's a huge Mavericks fan. And we went to a game in Dallas or yeah, a game in Dallas where they played Cleveland and he hung up 25 and eight on LeBron. And then we went to the Grizzlies game a few weeks later in Memphis and he scored 26 and had eight rebounds. And you know what was the biggest stinger in all that, Joe? What's that? He played 41 minutes in both of those games. Yeah, yeah. And I, I do think that what it's and we've talked about this, you know, you had me on talking about Jeff Green and hindsight's always 2020, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. There, there's always folks that want to point and say, see, 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 it didn't work uh, at the time, even more so than the Jeff Green trade, because going back to Jeff Green, I know that there were people that did not like the Jeff Green deal. OK, and I think those folks and we talked about it on that episode. They deserve credit for seeing Jeff Green uh, for what he was. But at the same time, as we discussed, there were reasons that it didn't fully work out in Memphis, even though he still didn't play as poorly as folks want to say he did. He was not the answer to the question of who is the next Rudy Gay. And and that's where the failure lot or lay. And those folks got that right. Most people, when, when this whole situation with Chandler Parsons coming to Memphis happened, most people were ecstatic. I can maybe think of one or two folks that were hesitant. And it wasn't really about health reasons. Obviously, there were some concerns that started to creep up with that when the Blazers didn't offer him a max contract because it was Portland and Memphis, really, that were in the hunt for him. And you know, I wrote my article uh, about him never being a bride because the logic there was he never was wanted, right? Like he always was the uh, the afterthought. He never was somebody, you know, whether it was w- with Dirk in Dallas or whether it was, you know, obviously alongside the weapons that the Houston Rockets had from time to time. Uh, he, he was never a guy that was really appreciated for what he was able to do as a floor spacer, as a creator, a six foot ten guy that can facilitate offense, can defend the three and the four. He was never fully understood, appreciated, whatever you want the terminology to be. He didn't have that. And because of that, I saw him as kind of like, in a roundabout way, the Memphis Grizzlies themselves in terms of how they were viewed by the NBA at that stage. So I truly saw his skill set as a marriage between the end of grit and grind, which everybody kind of knew was happening. We didn't know when it would happen, uh, but we knew we were getting closer to the end of that era. And the next piece of what was coming, which everybody assumed – Included Marcus Gasol and Mike Conley. Now, again, in hindsight, uh, and I believe you may have talked about this on a revisionist history already, Parker, or you may uh, be doing so in a future episode. Um, you could argue that maybe they should have blown it up then, right? Like maybe that 2016-2017 season where everybody kind of looks back and says, "Up, oh, that was the end." When Mark, or excuse me, when Zach and Tony left, maybe you argue that that team then should have been blown up. But that's again, we talked about hindsight. That's hindsight being 2020. Most people thought that Marcus Gasol and Mike Conley were good enough to keep Memphis competitive in the Western Conference. They just needed a third man. 
And Chandler Parsons at the time was the best that realistically could have been expected in free agency without knowing the full extent of his knee issues and everything that came of that. Chandler Parsons was the very best they could have done. There's other names that were floated. Kent Bazemore, Evan Turner was the big one. You know, there were other guys that that summer, everybody was getting paid. So if and you were always going to have to overpay somebody in free agency to come to Memphis, you were going to have to. So on the court, it was a match made in heaven. I thought it fit really well. And nobody's ever going to be able to convince me that if Parsons was healthy, it wouldn't have worked. But obviously, Parsons was never truly healthy. And it never really worked the way that it was supposed to. And and that's the biggest bummer out of all of this. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. I was always in the boat of if it if he was healthy, it would have worked because of for one, the way the NBA was going, and even the way Jalen Parsons' career was going, is even if he was healthy, he was going into his thirties at towards the end of his contract, and he probably would have been used as more of a Nikola Mirotic once Zebo was gone. And Nikola Mirotic was a great player in the NBA. He was a great player. But you're talking about a guy that could alleviate playmaking responsibilities off of Mike Conley and Mark Gasol, a guy that can space the floor for Zach Randolph and Mark Gasol to operate in the post or Tony Allen to make cuts, and a guy that could potentially also handle some of that point forward responsibilities off the bench. I think people forget that when they made this signing, Chandler Parsons was a top 10 small forward. And he was probably on the same par as someone like Gordon Hayward and Tobias Harris. He was a guy that you could realistically look at and say he was a top 10 free agent in that class. And that was that summer that everybody that was out there, you know, Mike Conley, of course, being one of those guys, too. And again, revisionist history. It's easy to look back and say that Parsons wasn't that good, but you ran down the stats and all the the things that he was able to do on the offensive end. He fit perfectly. He fit like a glove. Here's a guy who could provide and, and then some what you wanted Rudy Gay to provide. But Chandler Parsons wasn't necessarily a ball stopper the same way that Rudy Gay was. He was able to facilitate offense like you alluded to. He could have helped make Mark and Mike both more uh, exceptional scorers. And I do think that another piece of this, another uh, option of revisionist gristery, is the fact that during the same summer, the Grizzlies, it, it would have involved getting rid of Tony Allen more than likely, but the Grizzlies were trying to get Eric Gordon too who's another yeah. guy in free agency that you could argue perhaps uh, would have been better if they had thrown the money at Eric Gordon uh, in terms of uh, how things may have worked out. Gordon being the scorer that he is, but not obviously the size and versatility that Parsons theoretically provided. But they were going to have both of them potentially, and they eventually didn't pull the trigger on anything to make the cap work in that manner. But imagine if they had a starting lineup of Mike Conley, Eric Gordon, Chandler Parsons, Zach Randolph, or Jermichael Green, because you got to remember Jermichael Green was in that mix at that point, and Marcus All. Like that, that would be a pretty tough team to play against for a variety of reasons: spacing, defensive versatility, uh, facilitation at multiple positions. Uh, th- that would have been interesting to see. But again, you would have moved on from the the idea of what made you great. 
uh, in the first place in terms of Tony Allen and Zach Randolph, uh, perhaps a year too early or maybe a year on time, depending on how you view it. But at the end of the day, they just weren't able to get that deal done. So I do think that you look at what Parsons could have brought, and he was supposed to be that bridge. He was supposed to be someone that maximized Tony and Zach's last year while also being able to help build the next era of successful Grizzlies basketball. And, you know, knees are the worst because they did not allow for that to happen. Yeah. And I want to do, I want to put this in perspective too, is the ceiling of that team, that first year team, at least in the Parsons era. And I'm going to be honest. And I even mentioned this in my podcast for Brandon. It's going to be coming up soon is their, their title window got slammed shut when the Warriors got Kevin Durant. This move on July 1st, 2016, you saw them sign Chandler Parsons and Mike Conley. You're like, oh, they can actually make some noise and maybe even win the Western Conference. And then the Kevin Durant thing happened and it just sh- kind of shut the door on all that with maybe a shot in 2019 or this season, theoretically. But I still don't think this move was going to be the one that brought a parade on Beale Street, and that's totally fine. But what would you say the ceiling for – think about this. So you have Mike Conley, Tony Allen, Chandler Parsons, Jamichael Green, Mark Gasol. And then off the bench, you have Zach Randolph. And also you're allowing Vince Carter and James Ennis to play more of those roles off the bench that they're more suited for. And if you really think about it, it's almost a light – some sort of variation of this year's Houston Rockets, except for the fact that they have two legitimate big men, but they could both space the floor and you're having Tony Allen serve as that cutter. And the reason why he's so good at cutting in that space is because you have four guys around the three point arc. So what would you say that ceiling for that team was if Parsons was healthy? I would put him as a top three seed. I think that's the ceiling. I don't know if they get all the way to number one, but again, you have to keep in mind an average season for Chandler Parsons. You said it earlier, 14 points, five rebounds. He he didn't contribute that at any point uh, during his tenure as a Grizzly because of health concerns. So if he had just been average, which Memphis wasn't signing him to be average, they were signing him to uh, be a little bit better than that. But if he had just had an average run, they would have been better than they were that season. They would have gotten more out of that position. And they also likely, as you mentioned, would have gotten more out of guys like Vince Carter and James Ennis because they would have been in spots that they should have more naturally been in. So uh, to me, they would have been a top three seed. At worst, the four seed hosting a first-round series. And that you know changes the game in a lot of ways. It makes them more competitive. It gives them that advantage of a game seven at home if it comes to that in the first round. And it allows for them, the mentality of the relationship between Parsons and Memphis can't go understated here because people, that is one thing that people were hesitant about with Parsons. He had a Hollywood vibe, right? He he didn't have the feeling of being a Memphis guy. Uh, He was a David Fisdale guy, which obviously didn't work out for Fisdale either with the Grizzlies. Uh, But he he wasn't... uh, a typical blue collar. He wasn't Zach Randolph. He, he wouldn't cut that promo, right? The blue collar player for a blue collar town. That would never come out of the mouth of Chandler Parsons. He, he had Bella Thorne 
come to the Grizzlies game and his jersey and fishnet, stock, fishnet stockings, for God's sake. Uh, this is a dude that is not Memphis in terms of what the traditional idea of what Memphis is in terms of its culture, mentality, essentially what grit and grind always was. He was not that. So I think that that is more forgivable if you're good at basketball, if you're able to contribute to winning plays. If Chandler Parsons is going out there and making you know two threes a night on average and he's scoring 16 points a game, getting rebounds, facilitating offense, Conley and Gasol have the career years that they did under Fisdale with Parsons by their side and they're winning – I don't think the Bella Thorne stuff, I don't think him, you know, wanting to go out to California so much. I don't think any of that blows up as much as it did. It, it was just exacerbated by him not being able to play. So you you can't take that out of the uh, the configuration either. The fact that he was a guy that did not fit the mold of what grit and grind was, what a lot of people fell in love with the team for in the first place. And because he wasn't able to show, yeah, I know I'm not quite what you expect from a Memphis Grizzlies basketball player, but look at how I'm contributing to winning. He wasn't able to give that side of what he was physically capable to do before the major knee issues. And now you're in a place where you have this massive contract that is essentially a black hole, not giving you anything in terms of production. Plus, it's a distraction in some ways. It, it all adds up to frustration, and, and it kind of doomed him uh, from the start. And, and it's not necessarily fair because he's being who he was. But at the same time, it's a lot easier to stomach that if you don't agree with it if you're winning. And he was not contributing to winning, and that cut his, uh, cut his time in Memphis even shorter than perhaps it was going to be because the frustration from the fan base wasn't just about his physical issues and his physical uh, downgrade, so to speak, as a player uh, or downfall. But it was also about the way that he carried himself and how it didn't necessarily jive with what they perceived Grizzlies basketball to be. Yeah, I understand. And I I even said on the show with Brandon, it's it was super corny and everything was super blown up and weird. I honestly think that the war between, you know, blog boys like me and you and the rest of the Grizzlies fan base, I think that was probably some sort of battle. Of I think so you had like the great blog war. I think if that was like World War II, then this was like Desert Storm. <laughs> yeah. Uh people weren't very supportive of him except for, you know, me and I know you were and a couple other folks. Um you know, I, I always come back to the basketball side of things. And, and I'm not always right about these things. I've been around this Game a long time now. <laughs> you mentioned the great blog war, and uh, that joke always comes up every once in a while. And the fact that I've been doing this as long as I have, I, I've been right about some things, and I've been wrong about some things. Chandler Parsons, I won't chalk up as being wrong about, because if you're going to take medical issues into consideration, like if we as a fan base are going to sit there and say that Mike Conley being healthy and Tony Allen being healthy – the Grizzlies had a legitimate shot to beat the Golden State Warriors in 2015. I can get on board with that. But at the same token, you should be able to say if Chandler Parsons has healthy knees, that relationship doesn't end as poorly as it does. I would do you one better, and I would say that Chandler Parsons may still be a Memphis Grizzly. Mike Conley may still be a Memphis Grizzly. because that, And, and Marcus Gasol as well, because he was supposed to be that cog 
that bridge to the next era. And if they're able to build up consistently from those three guys, a healthy Chandler Parsons being included, hell, David Fisdale may still be here. There's a lot of layers to this that really collapse under the weight of that Parsons failure. And there's nobody really to blame. Uh, Again, we talked about a little bit of it with Parsons' mentality. I get that frustration. But how much of that was connected to his inability to play? And then when he did play, his inability to be effective, at least the way that he was supposed to be. And and he was rarely effective at all. And I acknowledge that as a Parsons supporter. So uh, to me, it it comes down to being back to basketball. Obviously, you want people that fit the culture of your organization, the culture of your team. But – are they going to help with winning basketball? And are they going to be, at worst, a net neutral when it comes to being a part of that culture? He doesn't have to be like Zach Randolph or Tony Allen or Marcus Gasol or Mike Conley. He just needs to be someone who comes in, does his job, helps win the basketball game, and then goes home. He can make out with Bella Thorne wherever he wants on Beale Street. I don't care if he's contributing to winning basketball. And he wasn't able to do that. And I think that that really kind of accentuated the issues that he had. But you're definitely right. There was a lot of tension around Chandler Parsons, and we were in the minority. You know, there were a lot of folks. It was easy to dump on Chandler Parsons, especially there towards the end when it became even more evident that he was never going to be what he was signed to be. You know, he, he didn't do himself any favors the way that he commented on social media about women and their boobs and all that stuff. And, you know, there's lots of things that I wish he wouldn't have done. But that doesn't have to do with what he could have done as a basketball player if his body had allowed him to. Yeah, I agree. I agree with everything on that front. And I do want to circle back to your comments on the whole, he could be Memphis Grizzlies still. And I just thought about this from that, that his second season when everything just went awry, when Mike Conley went down and just think even with a healthy Chandler Parsons, if you would have had no Mike Conley that entire year, you still have Tyreek Evans, Dylan Brooks, who people forget that he busted into the starting lineup before Mike Conley got hurt. He was making winning contributions before the Mike Conley injury. And then Chandler Parsons, healthy, playing the three. Jermichael Green, Mark Gasol. Obviously, that's not a 22-win team, right? No, not even close. I'd say that's a, a 30 win team probably. And again, we're it might be, you know, picking straws here or, or picking hairs and you say, "Oh, okay, they win eight more games." Well, that's a big difference in terms of the direction of your organization. If you win 22 games, you're god awful and and you're a top 5 pick in the NBA draft and and you are a ways away from being competitive. If you're 30 and 48 or excuse me, 30 and 52 or 32 and 50 and you were without your best player, You can argue that you're a potential playoff team with that best player in Mike Conley on the floor, and you don't blow it up. You don't fire your head coach. And obviously, Fizdale and Gasol had issues, so maybe that relationship would have ended anyway. But maybe you don't do a lot of the things that you did. The weight of the Parsons contract, I do think we underestimated at times. The fact that they were so inhibited to do anything. And obviously, the Tyreek Evans signing was a gift in that they were able to hit a home run on that, and they had a pretty high-level player for one season as he proved himself. But I do wonder if people understand, and I think obviously people understand that Parsons wasn't good, but Parsons 
his failure directly or indirectly led to the end of not just grit and grind, but Marcus all Mike Conley. Uh, we talked about Fizdale uh, and, and to a larger extent, Chris Wallace, you know, Parsons had issues with Chris Wallace, the, the cracks in the organization from the front office side were, were shown in the interactions with Parsons and the issues with him being sent home and can he play? Can he not play? Why are they holding me out? That sort of thing. Uh, th- there's all sorts of different pieces that went into the Parsons situation and issue that we are never going to be fully privy to, of course. But at the same time, if it had worked, if he had just been able to be on the court and be an average basketball player to what he had been to that point in his career, I just think that we're talking about a very different organization. So on one hand, in the long run, you have Jaron Jackson Jr. Now you have John Morant from a team who's uh, during this time period of Parsons. You mentioned that second year being particularly bleak, uh, you know, the darkest of the dark. Now you have one of the brightest futures in the entire National Basketball Association because of the things that you went through and a little bit of luck with ping pong balls bouncing your way. Uh, and you have two franchise cornerstones in Jackson Jr. and Morant to build around. So I guess you're thankful for the struggle in one way, but in the other, some beloved players, especially Mike Conley, may still be here if Parsons had worked out. And, you know, again, on the other side, maybe Chris Wallace is still here if Parsons had worked out. And obviously most fans wouldn't be as supportive of that idea. Right. Yeah. And to your point, that Chandler Parsons signing could have been the difference, especially with that Mike Conley entering that bleak second year. That's probably the difference between getting Jaron Jackson and – you know, a shy Gilgis Alexander or a Michael Porter Jr. or a Miles Bridges or Mikhail Bridges. You could have gone from actually flirting with the possibility of getting a Luka Doncic to praying that you're picking the late lottery somehow booms. And you also, like we've alluded to, everyone else could still be here. I think everybody... If I said, would you rather have this or this? They would say the other. Would you rather have David Fizdale or Taylor Jenkins? Everybody would say Taylor Jenkins. Chris Wallace or Zach Kleiman? People would say Zach Kleiman. Chandler Parsons or Solomon Hill? People would have said Solomon Hill because that's who they traded Parsons for. They traded Chandler Parsons for Solomon Hill and then Miles Plumley's dead money. Oh my God, the fact that they didn't give up a had to give up a pick to get off of Chandler's contract was a miracle. Well, they were lucky to have a partner in Atlanta that was looking to get a roster spot, right? They, they kind of helped each other out. Atlanta wanted the roster spot. Memphis wanted two smaller contracts so they didn't have to buy out one massive one. And they let Hill and Plumley kind of play it out and see who was going to make the roster. Solomon Hill and Jay Crowder, I know you and I have talked about this ad nauseum, so we don't have to go too depth in depth here especially Jay Crowder, but Solomon Hill gets lumped into this too. They might be the two most overrated Grizzlies in the history of the Memphis Grizzlies organization in terms of what they actually did when they were here. Jay Crowder was extremely inefficient, and Solomon Hill was literally in in line to be cut from this roster if he didn't have a good training camp. It was going to be him or Plumlee more than likely, and he beat out Plumlee, which fine and, and good for Solomon. He did well while he was here. But the love for the fans, it's almost like they were excited to have somebody actually playing. And again, I, I want to I want to stress that. <laughs> Parsons wasn't able to play. 
Like even when he did play, he wasn't really playing, at least not to the capabilities that he that he had. And more often than not, he wasn't able to play. So because of that, you're looking at a situation where they have wings and Crowder, obviously from the Conley trade, but Hill from the Parsons trade and, and Hill and Plumley didn't fit the plan for Atlanta. So they could have cared less if Memphis had bought those guys out or if they it, it just didn't fit into the Hawks agenda at that time. For the Grizzlies, they needed warm bodies, essentially, and and Hill was able to provide some spacing, he was able to provide some versatility. He did a lot of the stuff that Parsons was supposed to do, and same thing with Jay Crowder. They both weren't the facilitators that Parson was, Parsons was, and they didn't have Parsons' size. But again, the greatest ability in this life at times, Parker, is availability. And Hill and Crowder were there, and Parsons was never really able to be there for the Grizzlies. Perhaps Memphis fans were just so excited to finally have players that were able to stay on the floor on the wing that they were willing to uh, maybe ignore some of the inefficiencies of their play, especially in the case of Crowder. Right. And I do want to ask you this, Joe, because you were at the front line. I was in the Army, but you were at the front line for – the Chandler Parsons experiment. Whenever anybody yeah. wants to come at someone for Chandler Parsons, it's typically you. And if they're, <laughs> if they're my age demographic, they'll come at me. But would having a healthy Chandler Parsons be worth not having what we have now? Whew. What an interesting question. And I do think it's important to continue to stress the whole okay. purpose of this. Joe, Joe. Can I rephrase my question real quick? Sure. I think healthy is the obviously we want somebody to be healthy. Let's right. put it this way. Would a average to good Chandler Parsons be worth what we what the Grizzlies have now? Ooh. You know, with the with the benefit of hindsight, it's easy to say no because John Morant is John Morant. But in fairness to Chandler Parsons and to the signing of Chandler Parsons and to everything that happened when that contract was signed four years ago now, four years ago, John Morant was playing in the side gym of AAU tournaments. Nobody knew who John Morant was. He wasn't getting recruited by Division I schools. He wasn't getting any of that kind of stuff. Four years ago, Jaron Jackson Jr. was a year away from being at Michigan State and being a foul, happy big man who wasn't able to stay on the floor in the Big Ten. People liked Jaron Jackson Jr. Shout out to Peter Edmiston. He, he got that one right. People liked his skill set, thought that he could be elite at the NBA level, but there were legitimate concerns with Jaron's game. And to be honest with you, the foul issue is still there, as Nate Chester would point out. So you have to take it into all context. Yes, right now they're in a better place because they have two foundation-type talents, a 1A and a 1B. They have an alpha male in John Morant, and they have a big man who fits the modern game perfectly, theoretically, in Jaron Jackson Jr. But four years ago, you had a team that you truly believed had a chance to be competitive in the playoffs, to win a playoff series, to push the top elite teams in the West to the brink, and you wanted to master or excuse me, you wanted to maximize the grit and grind era as much as you could. You wanted to push it to as far as you could because it was the best thing that had ever happened. It fell into Chris Wallace's lap to an extent. He wanted to ride it into the ground 
And at the time, I don't remember a whole bunch of people coming out saying that they wanted to blow up grit and grind. Again, there were folks that said that, but the vast majority of people, A, loved Zach and Mark and Mike and Tony together, and they wanted to see if they could get one last dance in, so to speak, to, for, uh, to use some terminology from currently popular docu-series. And they also wanted to see what was going to happen after Zach and Tony left. Because most folks saw the end coming in terms of free agency for those two guys. They wanted to see, because most folks believed that Mark and Mike were going to be able to continue the good times. It was going to continue to roll. They were going to be good and potentially better depending on how they were able to advance their offense. I think we undersold how important Zach and Tony were to the culture and the locker room and all of those things that went along with that. Mark and Mike were not the type of leaders that Zach and Tony were. And that's not necessarily bad or good, but it's just the truth. The, the, the dynamics changed when Zach and Tony left. And whereas Chandler Parsons may not have been as comfortable doing some of the things he did when uh, Zach or Tony were there, now with Mark and Mike in place, it was a different leadership, stri- leadership style, excuse me, and it just didn't line up in terms of clicking with the fan base and with the culture of that Grizzlies team. So I, I, again, it's easy to sit here and say yes, because it's worked out okay. But one of the reasons it worked out is the improbable bouncing of the Grizzlies up to the number two overall pick in the 2019 NBA draft. One of the reasons that it worked out is having Jaron Jackson Jr. there at the number four overall pick in the 2018 NBA draft. And Mike Conley getting injured, which nobody would have wanted when that occurred back in 2017. So uh, right now they're in a better spot, but I think you have to take in the full context of what the world looked like four years ago. John Morant wasn't a thing. Jaron Jackson Jr. wasn't a thing. The Grizzlies being a competitive team was still a thing with a beloved group of players, and they wanted to try to maximize that as much as possible. And you have to understand, Evan Turner wasn't seen as good as Chandler Parsons. Kent Bazemore wasn't seen as good as Chandler Parsons. Eric Gordon, maybe you could argue they're comparable, but Eric Gordon didn't get the money that Chandler Parsons got. And even with what Parsons would have been paid by the Trailblazers, it wasn't the same contract that Gordon was offered. Chandler Parsons was viewed as more valuable than all of those players. Did the Grizzlies have to overpay? Yeah, I think they had to overpay. But not very few, or excuse me, very few people would have scoffed at that if Parsons had delivered and gotten the Grizzlies into the second round of the playoffs in a competitive series with the Warriors or the Spurs or wherever it might have been. So right now, it, it, they're in a better place. I think most folks would agree with that. But you can't say it was worth it to see the team struggle the way they did because of what the goal was supposed to be for the end of that era. And it didn't end with some triumphant you know, trumpet blaring. It went out with a bit of a whimper, and a main reason for that was the lack of health of Chandler Parsons. Right, and even from like a somewhat basketball, somewhat business side, is everybody wants to win. Everybody wants to see winning. And you alluded to there was a whimper when the grit and grind era ended. That's because not only Chandler Parsons was out, but Tony Allen had a hamstring or a knee injury as well. So they're starting wings against Kawhi Leonard, who literally put on his best impersonation of Michael Jordan that series, was James Ennis, Wayne Selden, and Vince Carter. Right. And Andrew Harrison. It, it just wasn't going to work. It's not Chandler Parsons. It's not Tony Allen. 
And I do like the point you made with the John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr. thing. It's almost a blessing from the basketball gods because the Grizzlies didn't tank at all to get either of those guys. In that 17-18 season, they just sucked. I mean, your fourth, third, fourth best player was a second-round pick in Dylan Brooks. And I know I'm probably his biggest advocate, but... Six-part series. Yes, I wrote a six-part series on him after that season. (laughs) But when you're having, you know, Dylan Brooks, Wayne Selden, and Andrew Harrison, your starting lineup, you're not going to win basketball games. So they didn't – and you know what? They got a top-five pick. They almost got Luka Doncic, but they got probably the best or second-best consolation prize in Jaron Jackson Jr. And I think people forget with John Morant, it wasn't the same thing as that 17-18 season. They were ping-pong balls away from either not picking in the first round unless they traded for Mike Conley, which, I mean, they got Brandon Clark, which that still would have been a successful 2019 draft. Sure. They almost got eighth, and you would have been looking at Ruby Hachimara or Cam Reddish. Oh, God. I remember that. That was awful. Yeah, I know. It was terrible. So I think think coming back to it – the basketball gods rewarded the Memphis Grizzlies for one, doing whatever it takes to remain competitive. Secondly, for doing right by Mike Conley and Marcus Gasol and letting them go to trading them to contenders, especially getting a ring for Mark and putting Mike Conley in a situation where before all that Los Angeles madness happened, Utah was seen as a potential favorite in the West. And then the Lakers got Anthony Davis and the Clippers got Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And finally, just it was just like a, hey, sorry but that this didn't work. Hope this makes you feel better about the Chandler Parsons experiment. There might be some validity to that. A little bit of basketball karma coming back towards the Grizzlies. And, and I do believe, and you make a good point with Gasol and Conley being traded to pseudo contenders, or obviously in the case of Gasol, it was a contender. Uh, they win the championship. Um, the, the Andre Iguodala thing with the Heat and all oh, the free agents and players aren't going to like Memphis if they just hold him there. I always thought that was overblown. And one of the reasons that I thought it was overblown that wasn't discussed as much was the way that the Grizzlies treated Gasol and Conley throughout that time period because they could have easily – I'm sure there were better trades with Charlotte or with somebody like that. And in fairness, they almost almost traded Gasol to Charlotte. Uh but I'm sure there were other deals that could have been made that maybe would have been more advantageous to Memphis, but they wanted to make sure that they did right by guys that grew up in the organization that became husbands and fathers in the organization that are legendary members of the organization. And I think in the long run, you know, whether it's the way they handled the Parsons situation, whether it's the way they traded away Gasol and Conley, how, how they treat the people that are in the organization and have been there for a long time, chose to stay there in the case of Gasol and Conley. And then when it was time to move on from an era, they were willing to do right by the player. That to me, if I was John Morant, if I was Jaron Jackson Jr. and I'm sitting there four or five years from now and I have my first chance to be an unrestricted free agent and potentially leave or I can stay and spend a little more money – 
I think that that is going to have a lot of credit with those guys because they saw that the people that helped build that largely successful era were taken care of. And guys that didn't help build it, like Chandler Parsons, they were dealt away in a smart way that helped build the franchise moving forward. I think that they deserve credit for that. And I think that it'll pay off in the long run when it comes to keeping guys like John Jaron. That's about all the time we had. Joe, I want to thank you for coming on with us for this edition of Revisionist Grizzly. Make sure you follow Joe at Joe Molax. Great Grizzly content from him all the time. Be sure you're following SB and Grizzlies for all the best Grizzlies content, especially during quarantine. You know, what better way to get past quarantine than reading some nice columns on Grizzly Bear Blues, harping on the past, present, and future of the Grizzlies, as well as podcasts like Revisionist Grizzly and Core 4 and GBB Live and the 3 and D podcast. You, you can follow me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Be sure you're liking, subscribing, downloading, whatever you do on your podcast platforms, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you find your podcast. And with that, that's it.